Welcome to the first episode of season four of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dowd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Casey. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. And this is so exciting to see you. It's exciting to see you, although I'm reading the show notes right now and I don't have my camera on, so I can't see you, but I know you're there. I'm, I'm here. Um, and, of course, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, 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 what's happening? How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. We are back and better than ever. The boys are back in town, as Thin Lizzy said many years ago. That's right. Uh, it's been a long time. This is our first episode of season four. I can't believe that we're starting our fourth season. We've managed to keep going, right? We have. They keep trying to keep us down. Hey, on a, on a side note, did anybody else ever think that this, uh, the lead singer for Thin Lizzy looked like Prince? And got them true? confused sometimes. That's true. Let me look that up. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know that the lead singer of Thin Lizzy in the generation that I grew up in was African American. Oh, really? Uh, t- until I was in high school. Oh, uh, I thought he was white. He's and not I white. Had a fr- I had a friend who had a Thin Lizzy album, and um, he does look like Prince. Yep, and they were a good band. Yeah, and uh, another rock hero uh, passed away. Uh, this week, which we will talk about. We've got to do a little bit of an Eddie Van Halen tribute at some point in the show. It's going to be segment segment two here after the break. Okay. All right. As always, folks, we are brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. You can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website as always. Uh, edsnotdead.com. I'm sure Casey has some very thought-provoking blogs. Oh, so many. On the website. Um, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, we have many loyal listeners that we've accumulated over the last three years, and uh, we're glad you're back with us, and you. we hope you stay with us. Right, fellas? That's right. Where would they go? I mean, come on. That's right. No, nobody, are- Literally nobody has anything going on right now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so... We are, we are still in the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, so we've got a great show uh, for you tonight. We are going to talk about um, whether college students have become complete wimps in the United <laughs> States. Um, that's basically the conceit of a new piece that we're going to talk about. And uh, we have a couple new segments. No Dear Betsy tonight, though, right? No. Yeah, we, I don't want to talk about her. Are we are we going to squeeze in a four-year Dear Betsy retrospective before the election on November 3rd? Oh, absolutely Ooh. we are. Yes. Oh, that's, okay. that's a good idea. I'm working on it right now. Uh, we, need, we need to do that. All right, we got a quiz. And uh, what's the new Robbie Dodd segment? I just used myself in the third person. It's called the You Know What segment. Okay. All right, good. Crable right, doesn't go. like it. But deal with it. I'm not trying to steal the spotlight, but I don't know. Maybe I am. It's a good. It's a good segment. <laughs> All right, Mr. Siddons, it's that time of the show. Show feedback. I show feedback. It's filled. I, see, I, I had a lonely sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't put out a lot of uh, content in the last month because we were on a little bit of summer summer break. But uh, an old friend of mine who I went to high school with actually now teaches down in Maryland. She said, I just listened to the most recent Ed's Not Dead, and I thought it was awesome. Uh, so thank you, Brooke. I appreciate you listening, and uh, I miss you. 
and we got to hang out at some point and uh, I appreciate you listening. So, all right, we'll have, we'll have more show feedback after this awesome uh, first episode of season four. That's right. Uh, I, I got one. I was in a, a work meeting and somebody uh, quoted uh, our interview with Zaretta Hammond during a work meeting. Really? Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I do have one too. I met a teacher via Zoom. Um, I'll skip the context of why, why I was on the Zoom. But um, she uh, told me that it was weird seeing me in person when she had heard me on the podcast, Ed's Not Dead. <laughs> I, was, I, I, always, I don't know about you all, but I always get slightly embarrassed when someone – says, oh, you're the guy on that podcast. <laughs> it's nice, though. It is. You, you don't get embarrassed. You, you revel in the attention. I, I, I do. Yeah. I do. Like, I do like you, yeah, you're like, oh, I'm so modest. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Lies. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, fellas, it's been a long time. We're still doing this via Zoom. How about those technical problems that just took up an hour before the show started? <laughs> Can you believe Crable can't get his audio right? Jeez. <laughs> That was pretty great. Was what a clown! <laughs> uh, you were very, you were very patient with me, Mister Crable. Thank you. As he as he walked else. away and played uh, guitar in the background and stopped helping you, that's what he does. Yeah, he hits, right, he hits so, a limit. I uh, know he can't. He can't go beyond the the Crable. I'll, t- I'll, uh, I'll tell you the a story one time of uh, me and Crable trying to find a friend of ours who had wandered off in the in the darkness <laughs> one day, and Crable hit a limit and was like, "I'm out." <laughs> He was like, we should find him. And I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm going home. <laughs> He'll figure it yeah, out. He, he has kind of like an internal like threshold of, of, of giving of himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know what? It's healthy for him. It is healthy. Yeah. He would. He meanwhile, would, meanwhile, my head was exploding. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> your friend is gone. Oh, uh, Josh Dunbar, by the way. <laughs> He was oh, missing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm sure Josh appreciates you sharing that he got lost yeah. in the air. Yeah. He doesn't listen, so. <laughs> All right. All right, fellas. It is uh, the first week of October, concluding the first week of October. We have been in distance learning now since the middle of March. Um, it goes on and on. And I think it's going the- great. I think some of the hysteria around what it's going to do to American public education and kids has died down a little bit since the spring um, because now we're just in it. The monotony of it uh, is ours to live every day. Um, I don't know about you all, but I totally feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog's day and Groundhog <laughs> day when I wake up every morning and yep. walk down to my computer. Um, so what are your, what are your thoughts on the, how, how this continues to go? I got I got a couple texts this week from people. Uh, my cousin who lives in Miami, they're being forced to go back to school today, in person Miami by the state. By the state, yep, they're being forced by the state to go back to school in person. And then I got another text from a cousin of mine in Pennsylvania. They're being required to go back to school, and uh, you know, it. We know how that's that story is going to end. And it's unfortunate and kids are going to get sick and adults are going to get sick. And we have been talking on the pod about this since March and it's, you know, it's not getting any better. Yeah. But, but do, but do we know the last time we talked in August, 
I think we all are on the same page about kids are going to get sick. Adults are going to get sick. Do, do we know that for sure? Are there, I, systems, I, are there systems? I think it's not as maybe, I think it's not as maybe disastrous as it would be in like a nursing home perhaps. But uh, you know, the, 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 the stats are out there about increasing cases in New York city uh, for the places that have gone back uh, even, you know, hybrid style. And it's only a matter of time before there's a certain amount of people that are getting sick. Well, and to, to add on to that, states and uh, school districts are actually not required to disclose any outbreaks. So you have, um, I think that's also partially coloring um, the, I would say, relative lack of like stories about massive outbreaks. Um, because one, I think it's commonplace. And two, um, I think there's probably a fair number of districts that are not overly forthcoming mm-hmm. about what exactly is happening. But what about, what about the South? I mean, what's happening in States like Georgia where they went back in mid August and I assume they're still back, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Couldn't tell you. Don't I, 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 I think I'm on Crable's point with, which is there are places that are just withholding information. And if, if the governor of Florida and his past practices are anything indicative of what it's going to be like he's or how his operating style is. Uh, we're not going to know about it. I will say that if you look at the news, Michigan reports 24 new outbreaks at schools and university, um, two Wayne County schools report new coronavirus outbreaks in Michigan. Um, so I think it's only going to get, maybe it's not as bad as again, uh, that we saw in March and April. But I think it's going to be, it's going to continue to get, kids are going to get sick. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, um, I don't know if it's reassuring or not, but it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot about what school has an outbreak and what doesn't. And, you know, I think it's shown having seen schools open, it's shown that it's not a guarantee that every single school that opens will have an outbreak. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't know what percentage or anything like that, but um, it's it's a gamble and it's a risk. I mean, that's for sure. And very, I, I, I very, suppose very, like do, very few outbreaks in Europe, and they're all back. Uh, I don't know that's that that's true. Yeah, I read it in the post. It's true. <laughs> fake fake oh, news. Wow. Okay. I also think like you know, as a district leader or as a school district leader, are you comfortable with the fact that allowing kids to go back? to school will, you know, undoubtedly put both students and teachers and staff at risk. Are you comfortable with that? If you're comfortable with that, then go ahead and do it. But if you're not, if you're not comfortable with that and and, in that amount of risk taking for every student and every adult in your building, I don't understand the the positives of, of sending students back. And I I know it's not a good decision. I mean, it's not an easy decision. I get that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that easy because most school systems right now, um, if they're not back at all, they're contemplating bringing back populations of kids. Right. Um, So, and I think there's, there are ways to, I agree with a certain amount of hybrid teaching, which can be done safely. For example, students with super, intense special education needs like school community-based programs. Well, I think the reason why we're not sending students back, I, I do think that one of the reasons why that, that, that high impact populations aren't being sent back is it has to do with 
perhaps uh, public pressure, maybe uh, pressure from teacher organizations, uh, teacher associations. Um, and I think that's troublesome if, if we're not willing to be at least somewhat flexible in how we allow for students to return. And so, Robbie, to your point about Georgia, so Georgia is one of the states, specifically Cobb County, where they are not reporting um, schools with coronavirus outbreaks. So they're basically just putting a lid on any information. But prior to that, um, they did see that uh, schools appear to be fueling new COVID-19 outbreaks in Georgia. This is from a a local uh, news outlet down there in Atlanta. Um, And then there had been 275 outbreaks reported in schools um, with the data indicating a rise of 115 since August 30th. So mm-hmm. this was this was at the end of September. So over the course of a month, about 115 outbreaks among schools in the state. Okay, but we're also talking about an area of the country where CDC guidelines have not exactly been followed to a T. Yeah, I mean when 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 I can't remember what high school it was in August you'll recall the the video that went viral of all the students in the halls without masks on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't think any of us support doing it that way. Um, But I think if you can do it in a way that is really controlled, um, I think systems are going to have to start considering that. I mean, I think most systems are starting to consider that. Um, And there's, and there's nothing, and there's, look, there's nothing wrong with considering it. Um, and I do think that just the simple fast fact, excuse me, of wearing masks um, significantly reduces uh, the, the chances of transmission, outbreak, you know, et cetera. But it is still a gamble. You know what yeah, I mean? It's a risk. It's, 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 it is a risk. But, you know, when I take my daughter to 7-Eleven or to Safeway, it's a risk. Yeah. It is a risk. But I, I suppose, like, what what do you all think about sending back small pockets of kids and, and teachers to start. So students who are, who have special needs, students who are receiving ESOL services. Yeah. As opposed to I, entire I, populations. I think that's going to happen. I, I, and well, I, do you support it? I'm asking, do you support it? Yeah. I think I support it. So I, the, the next question that comes to my mind is why wouldn't that be allowed and I feel like a lot of employee associations don't want to do that because it, it treats certain teachers differently than others. You didn't really give me a chance to respond. You asked me if I supported it. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. I didn't. I responded for no, you. Mean, that was, I support trying to figure out how to do it. Right. I, now I think if you, you know, assess the risk, um, because let's be honest, there are professions every day, the healthcare profession, nursing homes where people are doing it every day. They're serving the needs of others um, in the safest ways they can. Uh, I'm sure school systems are looking at the guidelines that the healthcare industry uses to, to, to care for patients, to care for the elderly. Um, because, I mean, it's going to have to be serious the way schools approach it. Sure. I, I, um, I, guess, I guess I don't, with the crumbling infrastructure of our nation's schools, I don't really trust some of the infrastructure Crumbling pieces. infrastructure? Yeah. That is like, dude, Ed, Ed, our show's called Ed's Not Dead. The, uh, listen, we have not invested in, in, the, in the infrastructure of our public education buildings. So if you, you, into, you, if you, you go into, if you go into, listen, build, stop, stop. I'm going to mute you. I'm going to mute you. I know. Yeah. It's so, so terrible. 
Listen, if, if, I'm not talking about necessarily just the actual structure, but if you look at the HVAC systems in, in school buildings, they don't have the filtration to actually help with or at least mitigate the virus or, or contaminating other classrooms in the school buildings. If they've been retrofitted like our previous school was, they're not set up to actually filter the air in buildings like that in an efficient way. So if there's any kind of outbreak, you're, you're looking at closing the entire school because they're not set up for that. So you can joke about and mess with me about the, in, the crumbling infrastructure, but we live in a pretty wealthy area that invests a lot in public education and the buildings. Some of the buildings are not doing well. And if you go anywhere outside of a wealthy suburb, uh, the, the buildings are even worse. So I, I don't understand, like, it's not something that people think about, but like, are we just going to teach outside? Like, are we just going to be out in the winter? Uh, I, I just... There are so many challenges and barriers to this happening, and there's only, I, I believe, the risk outweighs any kind of rewards that are going to happen. So you're totally anti. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. No going back to school. I'm not totally. I'm not totally anti. Here's here's my my feelings on it. I think we can. I think schools can and should plan for small pockets of kids and adults to go back. Here's what I fear is going to happen: is that the districts are going to do that. There's going to be major pushback from unions saying nothing at all should be, no one at all should be returned, even when the districts are saying maybe just special educators or ESOL educators. Um, and so without even like trying to find like a compromise, uh, districts are just going to send everyone back and it's just going to be a bum rush in the hallways. And it just, don't, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be a positive outcome. I, I I doubt that school systems, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, will will send everybody back just because they can't reach some kind of a compromise on conditions of employment with teachers. And 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 I hope not. I hope send everyone back. And, and there there are a lot of teachers out there that want to go back. I mean, I have one in my family. My sister teaches kindergarten. She wants to be with her kids. She wants to teach them. Yeah. Listen, I don't know any teacher that doesn't want to go back. I don't. I have yet to talk to a teacher that says that they love this situation and that they don't want to be back in schools with kids. I, I, I haven't, I don't know if you have, but I mean, like I want to go back with kids. Yeah. I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, man, you know what? I was like, the whole reason I got into education is so I didn't have to sit in a stupid school yes. all day yes. and write stupid emails, go to stupid meetings. Yep. Just sitting on my butt all day long and that's that's what this job is now yeah. you're still emails i don't interact with kids in a very limited have interactions with like teachers and stuff you know it's it sucks so i think yeah. everybody's on the you know on the same page there but and, and um, the two classes i teach but, but, but all but two kids keep their cameras on so it's like i'm staring a, at blank squares all day <laughs> well why don't you ask them to turn their cameras on i because I don't think it's respectful to ask kids who may be coming from a different living situation to ask them to put their cameras on. That's a different topic. <laughs> what were you going to say about office jobs there? I was going to say that there's a difference between you guys just talked about wanting to go back. There's a difference between wanting and being willing to go back. Yeah. There are a lot of teachers that are willing to go back. Yeah. Yeah. And are you willing to go back, Mr. Siddons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So back you, to my back to my point about the cameras. 
I'm a little, I'm a little annoyed. I'm a little annoyed. Well, I mean, I, you, you come oh, on. are you teaching a class right now? Are you teaching right now? Uh, no. Oh, Sarah just told me to bring it down. <laughs> yeah, I did say, is that, is that some like. I'm just messing with you. My yeah, feeling on it, my feeling on it is I tell like, them, I would like you to. Coming I from would, the guy who's teaching one class. Two. Two. <laughs> okay, two. Um, yeah. My feeling on it is like, I don't know what living situation kids are in and it's not for me to judge. So I'm not going to require you. I'm not going to have that fight, but I would really appreciate if you would have your camera on because it makes it a little more enjoyable experience. So you do ask them to turn it on. I request that they turn it on and I, that's all. Yeah, that's it. I, okay, I say, if, when if I you, asked you, when I asked you, you said you didn't. No, I said I did. You just weren't listening because you were talking over me. <laughs> We are back. We are back. Ah, <laughs> oh, just like old. It feels so good. Feels good. All right, let's talk about wimpy college students. Now, now. Uh, listen, <laughs> uh, Mr. Krabs, we got to yes. go to a break. We have to pay the bills. We have some advertisers that need to advertise. That's right. We have my pillow coming on. We have some yeah. free music to play that nobody will get paid for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have it. You don't have a. You can't play any Eddie Van Halen as an outtake. No, we did that. Remember that car song? And we got like. Uh, we got banned in Australia. YouTube blacklisted in Albania. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, when, we come, <laughs> when we come back, we will talk about today's college classroom. Is it one big therapy session? An article by Joseph Epstein. Don't go away. We're glad you're back with us. We'll talk to you in a minute. Thanks. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. We are still with you. Hey, boys. Hey. Hey. All right. We had to go to an, into our separate corners after our, <laughs> after our <laughs> um, Got a little... Got a little feisty. It felt good to be back. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. All right. So, which one of you dug up this uh, <laughs> this this piece titled "Today's College Classroom Is a Therapy Session" by Joseph <laughs> Epstein? That would be yours truly. All right. Good. Good find. Um, I, I will. I will give credit to uh, Commander Lawrence Bateman, uh, <laughs> who is the head of our NJROTC program, and uh, and and he's a listener of Ed's Not Dead, so he gives me a lot of a uh, a lot of crap about. Uh, some of my mushy gushy feelings on education. All right. So here we go. Um, Mr. Epstein appears to be taking exception with how the college classroom is now focused um, on students' self-esteem, creating a caring environment. Um, He even goes as far as including, um, environments that foster anti-racism or anti-bias as a part of their classroom culture. Uh, I'll hit you with a couple quotes. The two biggest lies about teaching. (laughs) I love this quote. Are are that one learns so much from one's students and so gratifying is it, one would do it for nothing. Um, Since the mid-1960s, colleges and universities have instituted student evaluations of their teachers, apart from reporting genuine delinquencies. He's always late to class. 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mr. Epstein goes on to say that professor evaluations by students in college are basically worthless. Um, he sums it up by saying that, you know, the way that he pressed kids academically, his high expectations, what he expected of them, what he equally expected of himself um, was what made him a good teacher. Uh, I attempted to pre present myself as reasonably cultured, passionate about his subject, serious, but not without humor, fair, but strict as someone who put out for his students by carefully preparing for class and putting much labor into grading their papers and expected them to do the same for me. I never felt the need to assure students that in me, they had a friend. So. Seems like um, a great guy. <laughs> he's essentially saying that the college classroom has become a place of coddling and, um, and I guess in some ways, a lack of high expectations for learning. So what do you make of Mr. Epstein's argument? Well, let me start by finishing one of the quotes uh, in reference <laughs> to, to learning things uh, from students. He said, I had a number of right and winning students, but if I learned anything from them, I seem long ago to have forgotten it. <laughs> I, I, I do think he's being a little bit, a little bit yeah, fraudulent yes. for the, just for the heck of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, I, I would venture so far as to say that Mr. Epstein does not have a lot of self-reflection going on. Um, uh, you know, I think there probably could be a reasonable argument to be made that maybe there is too much attention paid to feelings or psychotherapy sessions. Maybe that could be a conversation worth having. But the sort of information i won't even call them facts that he uses to back up his arguments are totally ridiculous <laughs> and to me really um are, are epitomized the sort of like culture battles that we're having um in this country right now specifically he talks about fostering an environment where those where anybody feels welcome so he is 100 and only percent focused on himself and how he feels so let's just take an example where a student of color comes into his classroom and for some reason um, takes offense to something he said, for some reason uh, doesn't feel comfortable approaching him because of the way that he speaks about some subject that he's teaching. According to him, that's the student's fault. He just needs to toughen up and deal with it. That's, right. that's the best way. You're just soft. You can't handle me. And when you think about all these Trump supporters the F your feelings, you know, kind of deal that they're all on. It, that's what it is. It's like, God forbid that you ever think about anybody else's feelings aside uh -huh. from your own. God forbid that you ever think about somebody else's experiences. I would venture to say that he thinks that racism is probably not even real. The reference to an anti-racist classroom makes him think that makes me think that in terms of racism, it's your problem. It's how you perceive other people talking to you. And if you just bucked up, pulled up your bootstraps and dealt with it, then we, you wouldn't have this problem anymore. So I think there's a lot going on here, but I think in a nutshell, it's this ridiculous fake-ass machismo that we, Mr. some Craig, people- this is, a this is a family show. Yep. They can say <laughs> that on TV. So That's true. 
but this 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 machismo that's not really machismo or manliness or whatever um it's toxic masculinity i would go so far as to say i agree and i think further when you we you know off air we were just talking about masks and places we've been where people aren't wearing masks that's all part and parcel of it i'm a man i'm a, i have my freedom i don't have to do what you say i make my own decisions shut up just deal with it and do something for other people and i'm not saying you should always um like change what you're doing because somebody is offended but I do think taking people's feelings and or perspectives and or thoughts into account is a vital part of being a teacher. Well, said. I, I, I have very little to add to that. Holy <laughs> moly. I I'm, and this article really annoyed me. So, uh, <laughs> great to you. talk about <laughs> it is, um, you know, I, I was reading the part about, uh, just the just the actual title itself being a therapy session. And I was, I was reading an article about like what, uh, what the recommended counselor to student ratio is, and it's 250 to one. The American School Counselor Association recommends 250 students to one counselor. Right now in America, on average, 455 uh, students to one counselor. So when the, when the systems across the nation start to put more funds into paying counselors, psychologists, school psychologists, and psychiatrists in school systems, then maybe school system, maybe teachers won't have to worry as much about the social emotional well-being of children. But at the end of the day, that's really a foundational part of being an effective educator, no matter if you're in a university or um, in a kindergarten class. So uh, I think it's easy for him to say that, but I also think it's pretty short-sighted of him. You know, and he talks about the tough guy approach. And I, I do think that there can be a time and a place for the tough guy approach. I think that some kids respond well to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll steal a page out of Robbie Dodd's book here and make a sports analogy, but with coaches, you have some coaches who are yellers and screamers who get up in your face and some players, regardless of the sport, it fires them up. They're going to be like, I'm going to show him. Right. Um, and some, it shuts them down. And there's a billion examples in sports. And I think any effective coach, any effective teacher knows when and how to differentiate between when that approach is useful and effective and working and when it's not. Yep. Um, and I guess there's one more thing I'll say. He ends by saying, kind of referring whether he doesn't know if the tough guy approach would be acceptable today. Um, and, you know, I don't know yes or no. I, I think that there are, again, examples where it would work. Um, but I think it's a lot of this like nostalgia towards things of the past being so great or perfect. And it's like, yeah, kids probably are more in touch with their feelings today. <laughs> Teachers are more expected to take individual preferences, individual feelings into account. Um, and I, in it's in thirty years, it's going to be different again. And right. so it's like, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the down or adapt. At the end of the day, uh, you physically, physiologically, your brain cannot learn information if you're not in a safe environment. So if you're not willing to put in the work to, to really create a, a safe social emotional environment, then there's not as much learning that's going to happen. So the whole point of education goes out the window. If you're not willing to provide that, that safe space for students to learn in, I'm not talking about like mushy gushy stuff, but I'm talking about like just a safe fight back, Robbie. Yeah. I mean, I can't, you guys are, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a boring show. If both of you, if all three of us feel the same way about Mr. Epstein, 
I, I'm torn on this. I mean, I, I kind of feel at times that I'm of another generation a little bit, and maybe it was because maybe it's because, you know, my dad was 40 when he had me, and so I had to listen to to, and he was a progressive educator. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he I, colleges are complex places because what's what's the number one what's the number one problem on college campuses drinking drugs thank you drinking so colleges have essentially lost control of being able to being able to promote positive healthy behavior yep. on the part of students yep been that way for a long time yeah, i was about to say uh this is nothing new animal house no, I specific no, behavior that is. I, I no, just I more, no. We're, this is this is fifty years. It's it's my lifetime. Okay, yeah. Um, my old man used to say that if you walked into the University of Maryland into a dorm in 1959 or 1960, and then teleported to the future and walked in there in 68 or 69, a decade later, it was unrecognizable. <laughs> he always said that the college presidents laid down. And never got their colleges back. Hmm. Um, <laughs> he said the kids took over, and, <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of there's a there's a kernel of truth there, and I think that's what this guy is talking about a little bit. I mean, he's a jerk, and he's not someone that I would probably like to learn from because I think you're exactly right, Crable. He's only thinking about himself. But I do think he's trying to make the argument that I should be able to teach and have high expectations and not be kids' friends. I, I'm, I'm, you know, they're there to learn and they need to meet my standards as a teacher. Agreed. Um, and I, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that's reasonable. Fun fact, you ready? Go. In the article... He references, I had a, such a teacher at the University of Chicago named Norman McLean. When he asked you a question, he made you feel as if you were being interviewed by the bad cop. <laughs> this was deliberate. When McLean retired, he wrote an article in which he mentioned one of his tough guy teachers on whom he modeled his own teaching. You all know who Norman McLean is? I do not. No. Norman McLean um, was an incredibly celebrated professor at the University of Chicago who also so happened to write the novella A River Runs Through It, which was turned into an Academy Award-winning movie. Wow. Um, And Norman McLean, if you watch A River Runs Through It, uh, directed by Robert Redford, Norman McLean was a hard ass. Yeah. Um, And... So this guy, he comes from a tree of uh, just what you said about coaches, Cradle. Yeah. This is is a certain method of teaching that that he espouses. And I'm not saying it's a good method, but it it is a method that has probably worked for some students over the years. And so I'll, I'll share two little kind of snippets, I think, illustrate the difference between what he's talking about being effective versus not effective. So in high school, um, I had a chemistry teacher who liked to give pop quizzes, right? And so he'd give you a pop quiz and then he would take a giant marker 
and write your letter grade across the, the entire size of the paper, A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever mm-hmm. you got. And then as he was passing them out, he'd make snide little comments to kids that didn't do as well. Okay, do you really need to tell us anything more about that's this? Awful. Right. Jesus. But that's high expectations. That's, yeah. that's, no, no, that's, that's being that's hard. Tough love. That's, that's, tough love. Being, that's tough love. That's being hard on students. No, that's not. saying, I taught high this. You didn't, you didn't learn it. High expectations are not humiliating kids. You're, that's a terrible example. I taught it. You didn't learn it. I would say that's a tough that, line. I, hold on. That's a tough line to cross because in this particular article, he's talking about using shame as a way to actually promote, you know, a positive or student or a productive student learning environment. If only, he could if only there was more students. shame. If, if only, only could, students had more shame. Better. Right. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's not. So maybe it's not exactly what he's talking about, but it's not far off. I was like, it's in the same ballpark. I guarantee that same teacher was thinking, man, this is going to, this is going to really push kids. Yes. This is going to really push kids next to time, do better. Next time. And if not, study. if not say lovey, I don't really care. Right. That yeah. But see I, what I'm thinking of, and maybe I'm reading this guy wrong. I mean, everything that you described, Peter, <laughs> uh, runs counter to my Bandurian principles. My Bandurian triangle. <laughs> uh, uh, performance comparisons, all that stuff. Terrible teaching kills kids, right? I, I'm not espousing that, but you know, I, from my personal experience, the teachers that I had that I knew that I couldn't get a single thing over on because their expectations were so high and they were going to hold me to a high standard were the people that I did the best with. Absolutely. And that that's, that's, I'm trying to give this guy credit for, for talking maybe a little bit about that. Maybe no, it's, this, maybe he's your guy in high school, but I I well, do think there are people that do exist like what I just described definitely. that that some kids don't like and yeah. and they and they're not willing to conform to and because the, they because they let me just say one last thing. The other thing that's ta- that's overtaken education is what. And you hate this, Mr. Siddons. Come on, Mr. Siddons, get off your phone. Um, <laughs> grades. So some of this mealy-mouthness is about that I'm not going to get what I think I should get. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The, the second example, and I think maybe this that I was going to share and you alluded to was, so I had a, my freshman year, I had a professor in college um, and I, you know, I was in an IB program and I, you know, I wasn't like the greatest student, but I was, I was a pretty good student above average. And I think it was like a Latin American history course or something like that. And I wrote my first essay and my nice five page double space essay. And I was like, man, this is so good. <laughs> this paper right here. He, he destroyed it. Just destroyed it. Yeah. I got, I think like a C minus or something on it. And it was like, Basically, the illusion was like, you're lucky I even gave you a C minus. But it had tons of feedback about what was bad, about what needs to be fixed. Yeah. I went and talked to him so that I could understand better what he was referring to. And I really do credit him in the feedback he gave me over the I ended up taking two classes with him with making me a better writer. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, what you're talking about um, – yeah, you're hard on kids in terms of what you expect from them, but you also coddle them by explaining to them what needs to be improved. 
um, you know, that there's certainly something there. And, you know, we'll never know his specific intentions, um, but everything else that he was talking about makes he makes me think that he's more along the tree of the first teacher I reference as opposed to the second. Nothing wrong with high expectations. I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, you know, on a much more superficial level, you had put some time into that paper. You know, I had Ruth Christman in fifth grade who, you know, I always, my, one of my first go-tos all through school was, let me, let me see how I can use my charm to maybe find some loopholes. And <laughs> even in fifth grade, you were pulling that move. And, and, and Miss Christman made it very clear early, <laughs> right out of the gate with me that that wasn't going to work. And, and so, I, I mean, I think it was my best year in elementary school and she was a little scary, yeah. but I wanted to do well because I didn't want to let her down. I, I, I do. I've, I've always thought that, you know, there is something about effective teachers where th- there's, there's a little bit of a differential in power because you don't want to let them down. You want to do well for them. And because they've shown Maybe it's the feedback you got from this guy. They've shown some interest in you or they've expected something out of you that maybe you didn't even know you could produce. And I mean, in the, in the research, they call it, the old term is they called it academic press. You press somebody. Um, and I don't know. I mean, this guy is. Well, qu- I but I was just thinking, so question for you guys. So, he he references like this this uh, what I would call a pseudo expectation for teachers to be students' friends. I mean, I, I think you know, and I think that's a gross mischaracterization of being an empathetic individual. That certain people they hear you should be nicer to kids, or I don't know some feedback like that, or more approachable, or something like that. And then well, how they interpret it is you should be their friend. And I've never heard any educator at any level ever say you should be their friend, but that's what he refers to. Because well, that's, I, that's, I, that's, that's a, a quote that proves his point that, uh, that, that teachers are being asked to be friends with their students. Uh, but there's also the other side where I was taught to not smile until Christmas. So don't, you know, as a teacher, don't smile, you know, and I think there's a very clear, there's a very clear line about, um, you know, being an empathetic person does not make you weak. It makes you a very, I think, a, a strong person in terms of understanding where people are coming from and what they're bringing to you. And it requires a, a certain understanding about who is in front of you. And that doesn't come by not being socially, emotionally aware of, of where your students are coming from. Empathy, not sympathy. But, right. but, but, but I would say, I'm going to put, I'm going to shine the, the, the bright lights on you, Mr. Sids. I don't, I, I You're know, reflecting on me. I can't see. Oh God. I, I, I've known, I haven't known many teachers. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, is so shiny. I wish <laughs> the audience could see it. I haven't known many teachers that were as fastidious about their expectations for how students should conduct themselves in your space as you. That you had very set routines, you expected a lot of kids because you felt like those routines were worthwhile and would make them better students. Yeah. And and, and I, mean, I think I think a lot of, you know, I over the years, 
you wanted them to meet your expectations. You weren't going to meet theirs. Correct. Yeah. Okay. What, so, what, what's your point? My, my, my point is, is that you can be both. You can be empathetic and, and also really challenge kids and, 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 and cause a little bit of productive struggle and discomfort. That's how you grow. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think as, as you move up in the grade levels, it gets a little muddy. Um, like sixth graders routines and expectations, they're so ingrained in like how middle schools are operating and, and how they're expected to operate more, even more so in the elementary levels. But as you move into high school, it's like they hit ninth grade and, and there's a whole cadre of teachers who think that it's the, they should know this by now. And so we don't have to teach it or we don't have to expect it. So the, the empathy is not there. It's like, you know, they should know this by now. And I think that's, I, I don't know that that's very fair. Can, can you learn if you're comfortable all the time? No. No. In fact, you learn a lot when you're in discomfort. There you go. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think knowing that. knowing how to create effective discomfort. I, I understood. And I, and I think there's nuance to that. 100%. But I, I, but I think a, a part of what this guy is saying is, is that students need to be prepared to feel some discomfort. That I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. And, but again, that's it's such a mischaracterization. But can you create? Can you create simplification? Oh, all kids need their handholds. No, it's not about handholding. It. It's like but, I'm but, saying in a high school classroom. If I, it's not about being uh, like discomfort in terms of, um, you know, you failed this. You have no chance of make it up, and you know you didn't you didn't learn it. So whatever. Um, it. it it, we could be creating discomfort in terms of pushing your thinking further about topics or promoting more rigorous instruction in a way that's supportive in that classroom environment. It's not about being a, a, a jerk in class and, and saying that you have no, basically here's my standards. You're not going to meet them. And that's the way I talk to you. I don't even know why I'm having this conversation with two people that were in the everybody gets a trophy generation. <laughs> it's, it's I earned every trophy I got. That was way after me, man. I earned zero. You know how many participation trophies I got? Zero. I got a lot. All right. Well, that was good. Mr. Epstein, thank you. Uh, we'll get him on the show. <laughs> you get him on the show, Mr. Guest Booker. No, I'm good. I don't want to talk to this guy. Uh, <laughs> Well, he sure, you know, it's a hot take. He had a hot take. The only, the last thing. Can How I does he know? get into the Chicago Times or Wall Street Journal? Like, why can't we get our op-eds? I get denied by Edutopia. I get emails from Edutopia saying, you a hot You're take. Not, it's ridiculous. Well, this guy, this guy. Media, media is not about thoughtful or useful. It's, it's about, about clickbait. Yeah, clickbait. He, he did, he did teach at Northwestern. I don't uh, care. Uh, <laughs> I do have to say, though, that I am fascinated that he was taught by Norman McLean and I would have liked to have been in a class with Norman McLean. He probably was terrifying. <laughs> um, so any, anyway, have either one of you ever seen that movie? Maybe parts of it. It's, it that's a Robert Redford movie. Uh, it's Brad. It was Brad Pitt's first big movie. Uh, no, I've not seen it then. Yeah. Nope. You, guys should, you, you should check it out. Beautiful movie. Great story. Incredibly sad. What was it called again? The Bridges of Madison County? Okay. Um, I think it was called Aaron Brockovich. This may be be the first and last show I do this. (laughs) 
Uh, it'll be it'll be a little of a spotlight on you, but it'll it'll be just a little bit of a you know just conversation about whatever. All right, don't go away. When we come back, Mr. Sins will have his annoying you know what segment. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. We are still here. Um, hey, fellas. Hey. Uh, so this past week, um, Eddie Van Halen, uh, the founder, one of the founders of the seminal late 70s, 80s hard rock group, Van Halen, um, which you all know had a big influence on me growing up, uh, passed away from, I guess, complications from throat cancer. Yeah. Um, that he had had for, I guess, maybe the better part of the decade. Um, aside from being, uh, I guess, Mr. Krabs, you're the, you're the resident musician, but aside from being on the, on the Mount Rushmore of rock guitar players, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Van Halen was just a great, fun, uh, straight ahead rock and roll band. And um, I was very sad, boys, yesterday when I heard that he had passed away. Yeah. Um, they, uh, he was, he was, he was a guitar god. Huh. Um, and everybody from my generation, from Generation X, uh, adored him. Yeah. Um, and, it's funny, a uh, friend of mine, professional friend of mine, uh, Joe Rubens, principal, uh, you know him, Mr. Siddons. He texted, I do. He texted me today to tell me how sad he was um, yeah. about, uh, he said you you all had had a conversation about Eddie. Yeah, he, he said he's got three Van Halen shirts. Yeah. And his <laughs> wife was surprised about it. <laughs> he also tells me stories about his mongoose from the 80s. <laughs> Uh, so he was listening to Van Halen and riding his mongoose. That's um, funny. And anyway, uh, you dug up a really interesting clip uh, where Eddie Van Halen was being interviewed at the Smithsonian in 2015, and he talked about emigrating from uh, Holland as a kid, uh, which I had no idea. Yeah, his dad was um, had various odd jobs, but on the side was a clarinetist. Um, and as Eddie later, uh, later said publicly was an alcoholic. Mm. And, um, I think he, I think Eddie's struggles with substance abuse, um, were familial in some way. He also said they helped him with his stage fright. Did you hear that? Mr. Crable? Uh, no, I I could relate though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that, uh, self-medicating was the way that he got over, I think the quote was being so damn nervous yeah. um, when he performed. So uh, why don't you play this, play this interesting clip about being a second language learner in Pasadena, California. Yeah. I guess the, the a kid asked him in the audience about his first day of school in America at this conference at the Smithsonian in 2015 called what it means to be an American. And uh, here's what he had to say. Oh, it was absolutely frightening. <laughs> Because, you know, we already went through that in Holland, first day, first, you know, first grade. Now you're in a whole country where you can't speak the language 
and you know absolutely nothing about anything. And yeah, it was, it was beyond frightening. I don't even know how to explain. But, you know, I think it made us stronger because you had to. I mean, the, the school that we went to was still segregated at the time, believe it or not. And uh, uh, since we couldn't speak the language, we were considered uh, a minority. And um, uh, my, my first friends in America were black. Uh, their names were Stephen and Russell. Yeah, I think what one thing um, when I hear like famous people, um, maybe not all famous people, but talk about school, um, and we we had uh, we talked about maybe she's maybe a month six weeks ago, Dave Grohl, uh, you know, former drummer Nirvana, lead man Foo Fighters, kind of like rock and roll, modern day rock and roll god. Uh, you know, he talked about how his mom was a teacher and that what a terrible student he was and yeah. everything. And and when I think about that, I, I often lament the fact that um, we value and prioritize such a limited skill set in schools. Yeah, I, I, I think we value the ability to sit and read and sit and write or, you know, do computations in math, let's say, so highly um, that we often overlook things or skills that kids do have. And I think back to um, our interview with Zaretta Hammond actually in, in season one. And uh, she talks about how kids are born with natural confidence and how we kind of beat it out of them um, by, by telling them, well, you're not good at this. You're not good at this. You're not good at this. Instead of saying, well, what are you good at? Right. Cool. Let, do you want to, let's work on that. Do you want to keep working on that? Let's nurture that. And, um, you know, I just think it's such a shame that we can't figure out a way for schools to, to value all sorts of skill sets. And, um, you know, plenty of success, people have become successful that maybe haven't done that well in school. And sometimes I just feel like we look at kids and whether it's middle school and, I mean, you guys can speak a little bit better to high school where if they don't do well, you know, maybe, maybe subconsciously we write them off a little bit is, um, you know, not going to be successful or not going to whatever amount to anything exactly means. And yeah. um, so I think this is always a good reminder that um, success and skills come in many different, uh, many different forms. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about when he talked about being in school, I was thinking about being a, you know, obviously he was what today would be considered. I mean, he was an ESOL level one kid. Um, and you know, who tried to make him feel comfortable in school? I would hope that today we do a better job with kids like him from wherever they come from, um, to make him feel safe because to hear someone like Eddie Van Halen, who, you know, at one time was somewhat of a household name, talk about how terrified he was as a child yeah. in school. Um, I mean, he wasn't making that up. He was, he was he was terrified. Yeah. Um, he and his brother, Alex. So anyway, rest in peace at EVH. You'll be missed. Um, I wish An- we another could- reason why 2020 needs to be over. I agree. I wish <laughs> we could, wait. there's no way we can play a great Van Halen clip. We'll get sued or something. You can, yeah. Uh, you can play, I think like 10 seconds or less. I think, I think it's, uh, maybe 15 seconds. I'll leave it up to you. I'll leave it up to you. Risk it. 
You got something, Mr. Sids? It can be our lead into you know what? You know what? What would you, you know like? Diver down, bro. Diver down. All right. Here we go. I, I don't I don't I just made a size just because I like the name. I don't, I don't you can play, you can play ten seconds of eruption. <laughs> That's true. Since that changed everything. All right. Cut cut it off at fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Pause. <laughs> maybe if we maybe if we wait, that was ten seconds. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how it works. Mr. Crable. Yeah. How does one learn to play guitar like that? And how did Eddie create that tapping thing? Uh, d- I mean, dedication in practice. There's no substitute for just the sheer number of hours that he must have spent practicing playing doing scales over and over and over yeah. and over locking again. yourself in your room and just yep. Yep. practice yep. practice practice yeah well he he did he did say that you know while van halen was renowned for their you know post post performance partying <laughs> that he was actually the quiet one in the band his way was to go in his hotel room and drink vodka and do cocaine and play his guitar <laughs> um, so i guess that's I guess that's why he was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. He'll be missed. Uh, you know what, Mr. Sids? You know what? <laughs> all right. So this is our new segment. We're going to try this out. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a little uh, poke poking of, of Dr. Dodd here. And we want to, we want to hark back to the days of the eighties and the formative years of the doctor. Maybe, maybe a, a little explanation about why it's called, you know what? Uh, didn't you create an app called You Know What at one time? Uh, it was called, it was like Mash, Mash Mr. Dot. Or, <laughs> um, it's, still, it's still out there on the, uh, the Android store. Yeah. So, when, so for when, any, anybody from, from uh, his school who, who needs to get a little frustration. When Dr. Dodd gets a, upset Mash about something, <laughs> when he gets upset about something or fired up about something, sometimes he'll say in response, You know what? <laughs> You know what? And so uh, we decided to turn this into a, a, a segment that could be short-lived based on how <laughs> the quality of it is tonight. Okay, all right. We'll see all right, so Dr. Dodd, uh, you graduated in what year, 1987? Yeah, you're going to throw me some softballs here. Yeah, so, so I'm going to list some movies, and I want okay. you to tell me the movie of that year, 1987, that you felt was like, t- tell us a story about it, about when you went to see it, what you thought about it, etc. You ready? Just so everybody knows, he has uh, an unnatural proclivity to recall everything songs. Well, he he won't now that we put him on the pressure. Yeah, I know, uh, I know. from I year. Really Stop with the build up. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Ready? I'm going to list out how many movies should I list out? Five or ten? Yeah, ten. Five. Too, yeah. too many. Let's okay. let's let's three to five. five. All right, five, we'll maybe. go five. Ready? Beverly Hills Cop 3, Dirty Dancing, Dragnet, Fatal Attraction, Full Metal Jacket. Um, <laughs> Dirty Dancing, I took my next door neighbor, uh, my, dear, my dear, dear childhood friend, Stephanie Wenzel, 
in August of 1987. We were both getting ready to go away to school. She was going to James Madison and we had grown up next to each other our whole lives. Um, uh, her parents were German immigrants. Um, and I, uh, I said, let's go see a movie before we both go to school. And I took her out and we went and saw dirty dancing, uh, with Patrick Swayze, um, and, uh, the late Patrick Swayze. And, He's dead? Uh, I, di- I yeah, didn't he died like, like it. six years ago. I didn't, I didn't like it. I thought it was cheesy. Uh, I was also <laughs> an 18 year old young man. Um, I don't know how Steffi felt about it, but that's my dirty dancing memory. Full metal jacket, uh, was, um, the great Matthew Modine, uh-huh. um, who, yeah, the, the, the basic training, uh, first 20 minutes of that movie, um, it's probably the best part of that movie. It's a great, uh, Platoon, great platoon had come out the year before in 1986, the great Oliver Stone movie. Uh, that was the era that was, that was getting towards the end of the era of Vietnam movies. Um, it kind of, it kind of, you know, there was the deer hamburger hunter, hill. Yeah. Deer hunter, hamburger hill platoon kind of reached a high point it won a bunch of Oscars. Um, those other terrible movies you mentioned, I didn't see any of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next next topic. Oh, I, I got I got one for you. Oh, all right. All right I I want to name a couple concerts that you went to at the Cap Center specifically Ooh. because it's blown up. <laughs> and any 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 good stories you got about going? None that I can share on the air. <laughs> <laughs> None. Uh, you can't even edit them at all. Nope. All right. Well, name three Not concerts. Really. Name three concerts I, I you went to at, at the Capitol Center. I can tell you concerts I saw. I saw. Um, I saw the Cars there in 1984. Um, yeah. I saw Van Halen there in 1986. Is that I where saw, they opened for Ted Nugent? That no, that was they opened for Ted Nugent in '79. Uh, uh, no, I was late. That was Van Hagar. I saw Van um, Hagar, which was kind of unfortunate. Uh, and he was. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie was still great though. Um, yeah. I, I saw rat in 1986 and this band opened up for him and we had no idea who they were. And they were, they were called Bon Jovi. Oh, right? oh. Um, and we were like, they did the typical stole the headliners thunder. Wow. Um, and they were, they were incredible. I saw Judas priest there. Um, and, and a bunch of others. Nice. Yep. All right. Rob, Hal- Rob, Rob Halford would bring out his um, Harley on stage and beat it with his, with his whip. <laughs> <laughs> no. All dressed in leather. That is hysterical. Breaking the law. Breaking, breaking the law. The law. <laughs> if, if, if you had to pick one song that summed up your 80s experience, do you think you could narrow it down to uh, one song? Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough question. Uh, I would say probably just kind of the, the gestalt of the, uh. 80s. I, I would say, uh, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, or I don't know. I need a little bit. I need a little bit. Um, yeah, you can, you can think on it. May, may, maybe jump by Van Halen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a huge album. I mean, that was just huge. I was 15. 
Uh, that was just incredible. That All was right. the same. Get get this. That was the same year. Eighty four. As as um, Thriller. Oh man, I didn't that's, think about that's that. Pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And go and Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters. All right. What else you got? <laughs> All I'm right. Trying this, to totally boring the audience, but go ahead. This one. This one is about sports. And I'll give you a few highlights from 1987. And, and you can pick one of the, of the list. NBA, Los Angeles Lakers versus Boston Celtics Series 4-2. NCAA football, Miami, Florida, record 12-0-0. Heisman Trophy, Tim Brown, Notre Dame, wide receiver points, 1,442. And Super Bowl eleven, New York Giants versus Denver Broncos, score 39-20. Yeah, that was so. That was the era of John Elway losing in the Super Bowl. Um, he lost to the 49ers, He lost to the Giants, and he lost to the to the now defunct Redskins. Oh, uh, uh, I, it wasn't. It might have been three in a row. Uh, it was close. Yeah. Uh, Tim Brown was a great, great, great uh, college football player. Had a great pro career um, with the Raiders, mostly. What what else you got? What else did you share? Uh, NCAA football, Miami, Florida record. Yeah, of twelve that and was, zero. That those were the uh, Vinny Testaverde, Michael Irvin, uh, Miami, the U, the U. Uh. Uh, yeah, they were they were they were it. Man. By the way, I like how Casey gives the record as twelve zero and zero. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I knew you were gonna give me. I knew you were gonna give me shade for that. I knew uh, it. They might. They might have <laughs> lost. Can you check to see if they lost the national championship game against Penn State that year? I can look it up. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all right. Let's finish it up. What else do you have? Do a, That's do, it. Do a quick. There we go. Perfect. That's all I got. But I have a quiz for y'all. All right. Thank you. So you got it. You got it. That was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that was fun. You're gonna have to come up with some more. You got you got to hit me on some dates next time. Okay, I, wanna, I got I wanna, it. I want to be date challenged. I can I can I can I can do that. That's easy. Okay. All right. You Should ready? Do quiz or no quiz? Is it a quick quiz? It's quick. It's quick. It's it's and Crable, you're gonna you're gonna go first. Actually, Robbie's gonna go first. There's three questions for Robbie. Three questions for Crable. Separate ones, all on the same topic. Whoever wins the most points wins. Because you all are competitive. <laughs> all right, you ready? Yeah. So, uh, Indigenous Peoples Day is coming up, people. Coming up on October twelfth, also known as Columbus Day, the fifteenth. Day this is coming out. That's right. The fifteenth-century Italian explorer is tied to the spread of disease, the initiation of the transatlantic slave trade, into violent acts committed against Native inhabitants of the Americas, and also of uh, being a federal holiday. And a lot of praise for the Italian community in America. So, question one. Indigenous Peoples Day, Robbie, a.k.a. Columbus Day, is celebrated on the second Monday in October. What year did it become a federal holiday? 1971, 1980, or 1981? Um, I'm going to say one. You got two more tries. Number two, it took took how many weeks to travel across the Atlantic? A, eight weeks, B, nine weeks, or C, ten weeks? Uh, Christopher Columbus? Yes. 
By the way, whose whose reputation has taken more hits than Christopher Columbus? Oh man, as he um, should. Uh, I'm going to say ten weeks. Ten weeks is correct. Very All good. Right. Go. Number three, which city was the first city in America to adopt Indigenous Peoples Day in 1992? Was it A, Berkeley, California, B, Washington, D.C., or C, Nashua, New Hampshire? I'm going to go with a Berkeley. Very good. That's two out of three. Very Thanks. good, Dr. Dodd. All right, Crable, All right. you got to beat two or more. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, in 1989, which state became the first state to replace Columbus Day? with Native American Day? A, South Dakota, B, Pennsylvania, or C, California? Mm, California. Incorrect. The answer South is Dakota. South Dakota. Oh, Sorry. Number two, 50, <laughs> 56 years after Columbus's first voyage, how many natives remained on Hispaniola out of 300,000? Is it A, 100, B, 500, or C, 10,000. 10,000. Incorrect. The answer is B, 500, 500? people were left over from 300,000. Number right, three. Let's end, let's, let's, end, let's end the game. I won. Number, <laughs> number three, roughly how many counties, districts, cities, incorporated towns, boroughs, villages, and census-designated places are named after Columbus in the United States? Is it Ooh, A, wow. 92, B, 20, or C, 54? 92. Incorrect. It's C, <laughs> 54, where 2.7 million Americans live today. That was a, that was a mauling right Dr. there. Dr. Dodd, this <laughs> trophy you? that is imaginary is for you. Thank you, Mr. Siddons. Did he just go 0 for 3? <laughs> I, I did. did. He did. One correct. He did. It's the first time I've ever, I've ever uh, failed that epically. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not, not for the public. All right, uh, Mr. Krabs, do you have a fantasy team? I do, yes. How's it doing? Eh, it's doing okay. Not not too bad. Yeah, mine's doing okay. <laughs> they're they're 12-0-0. Do you have one too, Mr. Fitz? <laughs> you don't have one. No, 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 no. All I right, don't even me, know they're me, playing let football. Me ask, let me ask Mr. Crable one other question. Mr. Crable, uh, what did you think of the benching by the Washington football team of young quarterback Dwayne Haskins? Um, I mean, honestly – don't care. <laughs> I mean, there's such the, the look. The you know, it's the franchise is such a disaster. They yeah. suck so bad. It's like I I don't know. I, I a couple of years ago, I was just like I can't follow all the ups and downs. And so they win lose. I mean, they weren't supposed to be good this year. They're not going to be good. They don't have a quarterback. It looks like for the future again. What else is new? Part Why do I still care? Why do I still care? I mean, I want them to do well, you know, like I'll, the second they are in a dumpster fire, like I'll, I'll, and I, I you know, I still watch them and I'm not like, they don't play my Sundays around it, but, um, you start, I'll, I'll certainly watch and the kids enjoy watching. And so that's all good, but it's just, you know, you can't, you can't invest any emotion into something that sucks so bad. So <laughs> what, what the question is, what's the name going to be changed to Dodd? What do you think? The Red Wolves. Yeah, Grable. Like yeah, red, red wolves or red hawks. I, I was think. thinking the red tails. The red I tails. like all three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your boy, your boy, uh, your boy, uh, Ar's playing well there, Mister. He is. I don't think he's going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Oh, speaking of football, quick, quick shout out here. Uh, a a kid, no longer a kid, um, that I taught uh, in my 
was it my first middle school? No, it was not my first middle Second school. Second year. Gig. Yeah. Uh, ended up, he was a great basketball player, and myself and another guy coached him, and uh, his name is Justin Haran, uh, and I joked that we ran the Justin Haran offense, which is run down the court and give him the ball. Uh, but he's actually a, a right tackle now for the Patriots. That's right. Oh, and, nice. And he yeah. played for them on Sunday. Yeah, he, he, he started and, I mean, I think played basically the whole game. That's pretty cool. So sh- shout out to, to Justin and all the hard work that he's put in Yeah, to become a freaking NFL player. It's yeah. amazing. He was yeah, an amazing can, basketball player in eighth ima- grade. Can you imagine that, that you, you coached a kid who's playing how hard it is to get to the NFL and he's in the NFL? I mean, that's insane. He's Look, an incredible he, athlete he, and a really great kid. I about to say, just the nicest kid in the world. Just, you know. So. I, taught him in, I, to, I taught him in seventh grade into, going into eighth grade algebra. <laughs> I taught summer school for one year, and it was like a, a summer program or whatever, and I taught him algebra. Nice. I can't. Oh, actually, I taught algebra. I don't know if he taught him. <laughs> uh, Robbie, he went to Bullis for high school. He went to Bullis. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Got it. Same place Dwayne Haskins went. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, you, I thought you taught calculus that summer. Jeez. <laughs> no. Maybe how to spell it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get the joke? No. Crable does, right? No. Uh, <laughs> Don't you remember the time in the first season when you t- when you tried to convince Crable and I that if you tr- tried hard enough you could teach calculus? <laughs> don't you remember that? I don't remember that, but now you I need told, to. You yep. told us that a teacher could teach anything that they set their mind to. I do. I do. I believe that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right, calculus boy. Algebra. Huh? You certainly can teach algebra. I think I did an okay job. I'm sure you did. Sue Goldstein taught across the hall for me, and she helped me every single morning to figure out what I did wrong the previous day. (laughs) Uh, She was so patient. That sounds like fun teaching. It was awesome. It was good. The kids were great. It was a small class. It was awesome. It was cool. Good experience. All right. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. As always, you can find uh, updates from the show at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter and check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Uh, last call. Uh, okay, I just went away from the screen and now he's he's doing bizarre backgrounds. Um, anything coming up, you guys? You got any got any uh, pithy writings in the, in the, com- coming out on the website? In the hopper? Yeah, I'm working on a couple blog posts. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Sounds good. I've uh I've been writing and recording music. So what? That's yeah. uh, all of my school videos, Crable, have have your songs in the ah, background, by go. the way. So ah, if you look nice. on our on our YouTube page, uh Soul Witness there is in go. the background of all my videos. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> well I'm, yeah, I'm about to uh actually I, sometime I put it in uh a song on Spotify to release a single. So it just has to go through the approval process and should be up. Hopefully sometime next week. Nice. Yes. Nice. Is, it, is it under Soul Witness? It is, yes. What do you say, Robbie? Or, can one or both of you motivate me to do something outside of <laughs> your, your paid work? <laughs> Why don't you do a rebuttal to my uh, op-ed about principals back in the classroom? Uh, I'd have <laughs> to read it first. Touche. Uh, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I will. I'll read it. I'll check it out. Uh, you well, have a blog post that you shared with me that we, I need to look over. Uh, you want to hear something crazy? Um, yes. I've actually thought about thought about teaching high school English. Um, and maybe if the opportunity presented itself that I would teach a course. I think you should. Um, It'd be fun. Yeah, I think I think that would be fun. I might have to get certified for secondary teaching, though. <laughs> I'm not sure that would be fun. Well, unless you have a co-teacher in there, which yeah. you probably have to do anyway as principal. Get a, get a provisional for a year. He'll be fine. Yeah. Or just do it. Uh, all right. Uh, absolutely zero guests lined up for the next few shows, right? So just stay tuned, folks, and we'll let you know who's going to be on Ed's Not Dead. Yeah, but it's going to be big names. on Twitter, big names. Barack, Michelle, okay. Joe, Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe, Biden, Sleepy, Sleepy Joe. Don't even repeat it. Uh, there's a uh, there's, there's a vice presidential debate going on as we sign off right now. I know, and I'm so glad I'm doing this instead of watching that because the last <laughs> debate gave me it kept Heart me up burn. at night. It was bad. Heart, heartburn. Embarrassing. All right. Uh, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to Ed's Not Dead. Spread the word. Um, send us some feedback. We always love the feedback. We'll read it on the show. Rate us on iTunes. It gives us better uh, search engine optimization. It helps our self-esteem. That's right. Makes us feel better. All right. For Peter and for Casey uh, signing off, we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. Yep.